Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Crump, and you are not in today. Today, today is Thursday, December 8th, the year of our Lord, 2022. Right, 22? Yeah. Yeah. Well, of yeah, course okay. I knew the date. It's Mama's Day. Oh, yeah, it's the Immaculate Conception of our Blessed Mother Mary. And already this morning, it was funny. I did get a little... All you have to do now, Father, is show me where it's at in Scripture that Mary was born a virgin or born without original sin. And I wrote back, it's next to the verse that says everything's got to be in the Bible. So I don't think I helped, but I felt better. Actually, if you want, tomorrow we can get after this. I've already got a good question for tomorrow's show on the Immaculate Conception. Uh, so we'll talk about that, maybe. Uh, well, we'll definitely answer that question. But what I got to do is kind of dive right in today because I was telling Carrie, I'm not sure we'll be able to do St. Ambrose in one show. But you may remember when we did the Crusades show, I like I looked at pages and pages and notes, but I did it quicker than I thought. So I don't know. I know not. Uh, but before we begin, huge shout out to Celtic Cat. Now let me say it forward. Celtic Cove Catholic Bookstore or uh, make sure if you're going to get Christmas gifts, you've got Michigan Church Supply on one side of Genesee County, and you've got Celtic Cove Catholic Bookstore on the other. I love them both. Uh, I shop at Celtic Cove Catholic Bookstore because, I don't know, I just do. And they're awesome. I went there and got all my Christmas shopping done, and granted, I'm the worst. You, none of you will get presents from me. I'm just the worst. Like, when people ask me, will you be my child's God, you know, father or whatever, I'm like, just know I will be the worst at it. Until they're like 19, and then I'm interested. But before that, it's like, I don't know how to talk to you. I'm going to swear. So, like, oh, my Godfather never bought me a gift. That's because I'm your Godfather, and I'm the worst. So we're going to look at St. Ambrose today, and we're going to dive right in, I think. Did I shout out to Celtic Cove? Yeah. You did? I want to do that every show. Okay. So we can do it. Okay, so Ambrose, we're going to talk about him because his feast day was yesterday, and he's one of those guys, I was just telling Carrie this, people's understanding of him was really formed by a guy named Edward Gibbons, non-Catholic people's uh, idea of him was really formed by a guy named Edward Gibbon, who wrote the uh, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. It's kind of the Bible of Roman history. Uh, but that view that he had of Ambrose, which was not a very good one, has really begun to change in secular histories. Uh, and there's just so much about this cat that is incredible. Uh, well, if you know of him, you probably know the, the thing, which is he's the guy who converted Augustine, which was arguably one of the most important moments in the church's history at that point since St. Paul. Uh, St. Augustine is quoted in our catechism more than St. Paul more than anybody. <clears throat> and that happened because of Ambrose. 
But we're going to look at everything but Augustine today, because that seems like the right thing to do. So with that, we know he was born in 339, and that's our best guess based on doing some math about when he wrote somebody this letter. He said, well, I'm 51 years old, so you do the backward math. But you also understand that they could be off a year or two. They just didn't really care about that sort of thing, uh, and sometimes they had trouble with their calendars. Uh, but uh, he was born at a time when Christianity was just emerging from this secret existence. Uh, Christianity was illegal for most of its his well, all of its history to this point. And so when he was born, he was born a Christian, uh, but it was a chaotic and crazy time to be Christian. Um, Christianity was still a minor movement in the Roman Empire. There weren't a ton of Christians. Uh, but the ones that were there were fighting all the time. And this idea was new to pagan Rome because in paganism, you just adopt other people's beliefs. There's no idea in there of, well, this is the right God and this is the wrong God, or this is the, my God and yours doesn't exist. There was really none of that. Christianity, like its parent, Judaism, said, no, there's truth and you can know the truth. And that's true of everything, including God. So for them, if you're going to argue about theology, there's an answer that's right. So for Romans and for most of the known world outside of Judaism, this is a new fight. Why are they fighting? Just believe whatever you want. But that's because they didn't believe in objective truth about God. Yeah? How's this? Okay, so the Roman Empire did not know what to do with these angry little poor people running around arguing about whether Jesus had two natures and one will or one nature and two wills or whether he was preceded from the father. Oh my gosh, they didn't know what to make of that. But that's the world that Ambrose was born into. His dad was an important official. We're not sure it's unclear. He was either a Praetorian prefect or he was the right-hand man of a Praetorian prefect. Mom was a Christian. Ambrose had two siblings, uh, Buck and Bear. I'm just kidding. Did I tell you that? That my brother met a family who had twin boys named Buck and Bear. Yeah. Those boys are going to be hellions. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, his dad died very early. We don't know how or why. We do know that his mom fled, right? You're like, why? Who knows? Uh, it's unclear to everyone. But she fled Treyer and moved to Rome. Uh, while in Rome, Ambrose studied extensively. Uh, now, there were no such things as degrees or anything like that. But he studied a multitude of topics, and he entered the public service in Rome. Now, one thing I've got to get in your heads is you're in the mid-fourth century here, which means the capital of Rome, the Roman Empire, was not Rome. It was there were about three, four locations at this point, one of them being um, Constantinople. Uh, and then when you talk about the West, right, the West, which is where Italy, what we call Italy was, 
you had sometimes it was Rome, sometimes it was Nicomedia, sometimes it was Ravenna, sometimes it was Milan. It moved around a bit. Rome was considered such a big, ugly mess. Not ugly, like, aesthetically, uh, but decadent mess. And it was far from the fronts that Romans were worried about, right? So Rome had pride of place, the city of Rome, within the Roman Empire. It's where all the ancient temples were. But in terms of it as a political place, no, not anymore. Um, no. Okay. Now, what's his name? Ambrose comes into public record in a huge way in the year 374. Okay. Uh, why? Because of a dispute that defined Christianity for about its first 75 to 100 years. And I'm not going to go into it too deeply, but this is what we call the Arian heresy. And this is really important to know that at this point, Catholicism or Christianity, because they were the same thing, right? There was no Protestant thing uh, for 1,200 years. Okay. Uh, Catholicism was split ideologically on an idea between Arianism and what we, Arian Christians and Nicene Christians. Okay. Arian Christians believe that Jesus was created by God, that there was a time he did not exist. Um, and because of that is subordinate to the father, subjugated. Uh, I don't know. It's again, these are philosophical things and I don't need you thinking about them too much. If you want, we can do that someday. But if I start, we'll never stop. Now, in answer to Arianism, the church convened a council and defined Christianity, the thing we call the Nicene Creed. Um, and that, when you hear Nicene Christians, that's us. Okay, well, Arian Christians at this point were in charge. They outnumbered Nicene Christians by a huge number. Okay, And what would happen is... Every time some area needed a new bishop, there would be fights, namely arguments and sometimes fisticuffs over, are we going to get an Arian bishop or a Nicene bishop? Isn't this crazy? And it would go back and forth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just depends who's in charge, right? Who can buy the office or, or, or what the head is. And sometimes you have uh, secular officials replacing an Arian with a Nicene and replacing the Nicene with an Arian just to keep everyone kind of happy and unhappy, right? A happy compromise. So, um, yeah, okay. So this dispute was considered religious and political, uh, although a vast majority of the Roman Empire was not Christian. They were pagan. Christians were rising in number, and as I told you early, this idea of a religious fight was very new. Pagans didn't know what to do. Believe what you want. No, you don't understand. If you're a Christian, this is what Christians believe because there's such a thing as truth, right? And there's something that's true of God or something that isn't true of God. Drove them nuts. But be this as it may, uh, in 374, the Bishop of Milan died. And it's the same Milan you see now, right? In Northern Italy. And it looked like a Nicene Christian was going to be appointed Bishop. 
it turned into a real dispute. And there was kind of a town hall meeting at the cathedral. And both sides showed up screaming at each other, arguing the whole thing. Ambrose wanders in and started to mediate. And he was definitely a Nicene Christian, but the Arians were comfortable with him because his whole thing was this, kind of live and let live to some extent, okay? Namely, yeah, you're wrong. If you're an Arian, you're wrong, but I don't need to kick you out. Nobody needs to kick you out. We can figure this out together. Um, and he was a peacemaker. He called for reason and prayer. Now, while he's giving this speech, everybody starts to chill out. Okay, everyone, okay, all right, we got you, big dog. And then suddenly, someone cried out, Ambrose, our bishop. And it blew up. People started, right? And more and more people joined in. And pretty soon, the whole crowd, Arians and Nicenes, Ambrose our bishop, Ambrose our bishop. Ambrose did not want to be bishop. Okay, why? And he argued with them. I'm not even baptized, right? He wasn't baptized. He had no theological training. He had only recently decided on Christianity for himself. And he was a wealthy man. Uh, he was a wealthy son of a high official, and he was a high official. And at this point, no bishop from the upper class had ever been appointed. So Ambrose was really against this. He argued against it, and the crowd started just chanting him down, right? When he would argue, you know, because it was their whole thing. Well, you're a Christian. We can baptize you. Uh, we can take care of all your worries, you know? And he was like, okay. Well, here's what I'll do. And then he ran. Okay. He ran and they chased him. And he ended up hiding at his buddy's house. Um, and the mob showed up there and his buddy handed him over. Uh, Ambrose was baptized, ordained a priest, and consecrated the new bishop of Milan in about a one-week period. Right? They moved things along. Now, this concept is called popular acclamation, and it used to not be common, but certainly acceptable. The way we pick bishops now would be shocking and weird to these early Christians. Right? Because, um, again, you know, the, the Pope naming your bishop, he doesn't know your bishop. Right? And the people who get that bishop, they don't know him. Um, and it's become a very political process. And well, not become, it is a political process. We pray it's guided by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Back then, that's how the Holy Spirit worked, right? Uh, Ambrose, our bishop, Ambrose, our bishop. And when you've got enemies agreeing, well, then the church says, well, heck yeah, let's do this. So, uh, now, um, Put it, this is funny. You could look up, why did they want him bishop so bad? And I love this. One author said, quote, to put it bluntly, people liked him. He's just a good dude. Uh, he was smart and he had proven to the Arians that he would be charitable in his fight against them. There are a few things better than an honorable opponent. Yeah, really. Uh, and I think most honorable people get this. Now, right away, he proved he was the man they believed he was. He sold everything he had, uh, setting aside enough to kind of, we would say an endowment, a trust, whatever, so that his sister was always taken care of. But everything else he just gave away to the poor. 
Uh, he donated his property to um, groups that cared for the poor. Um, and he lived a very ascetic life. A very small room, one table, one chair, a bed. Right? He, he, he made his life very simple. And people loved that about him. Um, you know, in our culture, how to explain this? Like, imagine, okay, how's this? Bill Gates, there's that huge squirrel, Carrie. Do you see it? Oh, you scared him with that last cough. Never mind. Uh, what you did, it was so funny. He was sitting there looking in the window, and then you coughed. He was like, I'm out. I'm gone. If I was a squirrel and I was that big, I would not be afraid. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, Bill Gates. Yes. Right? Do you know about this? Yeah. That Bill Gates, at his richest, um, Warren Buffett called him. Have you heard about this? And they... And in a sense, invited himself over, yeah, mm-hmm. and convinced him, you need to give away half your money oh. to charity. Yeah. And he did. And he has, and you know, I know some people are whatever about Bill Gates, just leave all that alone. Here's data that is unarguable. He gave away more than half of his wealth. And Americans are so funny, right? A lot of the comments, well, sure, it's 40 billion, but that's nothing to him. That's not the point. That is still $40 billion that he just went, no, that's yours. Yeah. Um, And again, I I don't ever know what to do with people. Oh, that's not a sacrifice. Yeah, it is. Um, And if nothing else, it's $40 billion. That's a lot. Um, Now, that barely made the news. And when it did, people were like, eh, that's not a sacrifice for him. I'd argue it is. Yeah. If you have 80 billion and then you have 40 billion, you have half of what you had an hour ago. Right. And that's scary, I assume. I don't know. Again, I, I'm not saying he suffered, <laughs> obviously. But anyway, what Ambrose did would have made the news. People just didn't do that. You didn't sell, especially your property. Property was the only way to guarantee you could survive hard times. This is the only way. Um, and it's just amazing. There, I, I, I could go on and on. So now uh, a guy named Gratian is the emperor, and he and the Ambrose seem to have gotten along quite well. Uh, Gratian was already a Christian, and Ambrose wrote a lot of catechetical books, and in that mentioned what a good man he is, Um, which was a common custom of the time. If you like the emperor and you're writing a public book, you do make sure everyone knows the emperor's a good guy, right? And the emperor uh, might help you fund that book uh, if he agreed with your writings. Um, Ambrose did support Gratian in removing the altar of victory. Okay, he, he did two things that are kind of a huge deal to Roman historians. And you could argue that that altar of victory is what ticks secular historians off the most. Okay, so let's take a look at it real quick. In the year 272 BC, the Romans captured an altar of the goddess Nike, okay? She's the goddess of victory. 
and this happened during the Pyrrhic War, for those of you who are interested in such things, right? Uh, it depicted a winged goddess holding a palm branch and descending to present a laurel wreath. Now, <clears throat> at that altar of victory, oh, this part is from uh, Reverend James uh, Sheridan. Quote, at this altar of victory, senators burned incense, offered prayers annually for the welfare of the empire, took their oaths, and pledged on the ascension of each new emperor. Thus, the statue became one of the most vital links between the Roman state and Roman religion. And it also became a tangible reminder of Rome's great past and hopes for the future. Romans believed that as long as we had this altar, we cannot lose. Okay? And here's the interesting thing. Um, they're going to take it down here. The Gratian is, because Gratian's a Christian emperor, <clears throat> and he's being kind of cheered on by Ambrose. And Roman Empire collapsed less than 100 years later in the West. So you do have a lot of secular historians who hate Ambrose for that. And you might say, well, where's that altar now? Because it was gold. No one knows. And I think it was Mike Duncan who talked about this. That would be such a great Indiana Jones movie. Where is that altar? Because supposedly whoever has that altar cannot lose. And Rome did not lose for a very, very, very long time. Yeah, that she had that altar. Isn't that interesting? Well, do you think it's really there still? Oh, I'm sure it's somewhere, or the chunks of it are somewhere, right? Somebody melted it down. If it's not still a big one thing somewhere, I'm sure somebody melted it down, right? Which was something you did with gold. If someone gave you a gold object and you got broke, well, melt it. You're not broke anymore. It couldn't be that easy to melt it down. I mean, that's a hot fire, right? Well, they could do it. <clears throat> These guys were making some swords that we still have. Okay. You know, it's funny how we think of uh, sword making, and we see the dudes with the hammers and uh, the super heat, <clears throat> and we assume these were lesser swords. No, a lot of them were, were solid enough where we still have them. You know, they, they were good at this. Yeah. And again, you got to remember, and you're going to laugh, people had time. Yeah. People just had time. You could take a year to make a sword if you wanted. Uh, isn't it weird to think of? You could work on it every day. You could work on it every day, 10 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. <clears throat> so that's one thing he did. And the other thing he did was convince Gratian to stop using public money to support the various pagan cults in Rome at the time. Now, these are two really big steps in what becomes the Christianization of Rome. See, <clears throat> Romans did not see church and state as separate. They saw them as the same thing tangled all together. So the state supported the churches financially and the churches supported the state theologically. So <clears throat> all these big, beautiful pagan temples in Rome were there because tax money went to keeping them up. Priests weren't paid by donations from their people. I mean, yes, they were, but primarily they were paid through tax dollars from the state. Okay? So as a general rule, the state and the church, the pagan state and the, no, yeah, the pagan state and the pagan church supported each other. It was a marriage. And what we're going to see is Ambrose, uh, this is so wild, he's going to get, um, he kind of gets 
uh, two charges made against him that contrast with each other. Right. One is, well, he destroyed that beautiful pagan church state religion uh, relationship that held Rome together forever. And he's chastised for having church state disagreements with the emperors. Right. I think it's one of those things, again, where you just can't make some people happy. Um, and some of it's just they're ill-informed. Some of it's they hate Christians. Some of them they hate Christianity or just any religion. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, blah, blah. So uh, toward the end of Gratian's reign, we have one story we know of where Ambrose interrupted the emperor while he was recreating. I think he was hunting in order to advocate for a pagan senator who had been sentenced to death which is a pretty cool story. And as you're gonna hear, it's kind of classic of Ambrose, right? Why kill the guy, <laughs> right? Let's go save him. And Ambrose's word that Senator's life was spared, not because he was a Christian, he wasn't, he was a pagan, but that's not how Ambrose thought. Um, it's a cool dude. Now, Gratian died. I think he was assassinated. I'm pretty sure he was. And his younger brother, Valentinian II, became emperor. Here's the problem. He was only 12. So his mom, uh, Justinia, became uh, regent. So they would call her something like the, the emperor mother or something. They had a title for her. And this was a big deal. Justina hated Ambrose. Like... Hated. That's how you say it in Hebrew. She was an Arian Christian, and Ambrose had already ruined her efforts to have uh, an Arian bishop appointed in Sirmium. Okay, so she wasn't happy about this. And so what we end up with is a situation where you have Ambrose, who is wildly popular with the people, and is Nicene. And you have most of the wealthy and powerful, including almost everyone in the military who was Arian, who hated Ambrose. Because any time they tried to appoint an Arian bishop, he'd, he'd, he'd fight it. And again, this was Ambrose's way of doing it. Just don't let him be bishop and Arianism will die. Now, hear me out. This could sound crazy. Arianism doesn't make sense if you follow it long enough. And Ambrose was convinced people were smart enough that if they follow it long enough, they'll convert back to Nicene Christianity. So what was his key? Well, just make sure we don't have any more people in charge who are heretics, right? Crazy idea, but it could work. Now, right away, Valentinian II found the um, Arians demanding that he allocate them two churches in Milan one in the city and one in the suburbs. And of course, Justine, uh, Justina's behind this, Justinia, Justina. I think it's Justina. Ambrose refused to surrender the churches, okay? uh, which was somewhat common practice. If your Arian bishop takes over, all right, you guys, you, you Nicenes can still have these two churches. And when your Nicene bishop takes over, he says, okay, you Arians, you can have those two, right? Um, Gotta give him a place to worship. Ambrose, uh, no. And in his letter back, quote, Emperor, what belongs to God is outside of your power. So Ambrose was praying in that church when the prefect of the city came uh, in order to convince him, you got to surrender this to the Arians. 
um, Ambrose again refused. So then officials of the court were sent to take possession of the church, right? Like the Anglicans did to the Romans in England. All right, we'll just take it. Okay, and we'll make it ours. And the way they were going to make it theirs is by hanging these like imperial signs. I, I think the best way for me to explain it to you is picture a shield with the emperor's crest on it. That's what they were trying to hang. Thus, we're claiming this church for the emperor who's an Arian. And that way they can have their Arian things inside there. So they all show up to do this, but they couldn't do it. The soldiers who were assigned around the basilica saw this coming, and they ran into the church, knelt at Ambrose's feet, and pledged their fealty to him. They then resisted these guys coming to hang their stuff, and they removed all of their um, signs, these shields. Uh, so it's really funny. You know, Ambrose uh, ended up writing this back to the emperor. Quote, if you demand my person... I am ready to submit. Carry me to the prison of death. I promise I will not resist. But I will never betray the church of Christ. I will not call upon the people to succor me, comfort me, hide me. I will die at the foot of the altar before I desert it. The tumult of the people I will not encourage, but God alone can calm them down. <laughs> so what's he saying? You, you, you want me? You got me. I'm yours. You want my church, you got to kill me. I'm not going to ask the people to help me or to hide me. And I'm not going to try to calm them down because I don't think I could. Right. So this is uh, this is gutsy. And you guys, nobody had done this before. This is a revolutionary, shocking chain of events. Um, and for us, this is just common sense. Well, of course, the church doesn't turn over her stuff to the state. Yes, she did for all of human history until here. Ambrose was the first to say to the emperor, no, 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 this ain't yours. Um, it would be hard to overstate how important this battle is. And it's all about Arianism, which is crazy. Right. Yeah. Now, by Thursday, the emperor gave in. Fine. It's your church. And this is what he wrote. Soon, if Ambrose gives the orders, you will be sending me to him in chains. Right? So now the emperor's like, holy crap, Ambrose is in charge? Right? Now, shortly after this, there was a big uprising in Gaul. That's where France is now-ish. Uh, when the general Maximus... Uh, announced his intention to be emperor, you know, uh, which basically means I'm goose-stepping to Rome and I'm going to kill the emperor and I'm going to take charge. Valentinian sent Ambrose to negotiate a peace. He did it, right? Maximus really liked everybody. Everybody who met a, uh, Ambrose liked him. And when he finished, okay, Maximus is chilled out. Valenti Val Valentinian is chilled out. Everything's fine. Three years later, in 386, Justina and Valentinian II brought in an Arian bishop and once again ordered Ambrose to hand over a church in Milan for the Arians. Ambrose and his congregation barricaded themselves into the church. And it turned into one of those things. And again, the emperor blinked. Okay, the church stayed 
Nicene. Uh, there was an attempted kidnapping of Ambrose. There was another attempt to arrest him and get him out of the city. But the efforts of the emperor and his mom always failed because the crowd loved him. Right? The people loved him. Now, shortly after this, Maximus rises up again. And Ambrose was not sent. Um, what's his butt? Was furious with him, as you can imagine. So Maximus marched on Italy. He took Milan in 387. Valentinian and his mom fled. Ambrose stayed. And the situation got really dire, so he took the golden church, melted it down, and fed the poor with the money he raised. And again, as you can imagine, they'll die for him. Yeah. And remember, guys, when we talk about the poor, he's not just doing this for Christians. There weren't a ton of Christians at this point. Now, now we're going to shift over to the east, Theodosius, the emperor in the east. Now, this cat was a devout Nicene Christian and was motivated to end Arianism in the east. And he did a good job. <laughs> in 381, he declared Nicene Catholicism as the only legitimate version of Christianity. And again, now think about this. An emperor did that. Not a bishop, not a priest not a pope, an emperor. And you think, well, how? That's how it worked. That's what makes what Ambrose did all the more shocking. Okay. Is this making sense? Okay. And how are people doing? Are people happy? Yep. Happy! Okay. Uh, Theodosius himself seems to have been a very pious man, generous with the poor, and the people loved him. He had a good reputation. He and Ambrose had a good wor working relationship, but they were never really friends, and they didn't really have a ton of contact with each other. Okay? So this isn't like Gratian, and this isn't like the next guy. This is just a relationship where, okay, we're two professionals here. Uh, and we work together when we need to. Now, this changed in 390 with an event, I kid you not, called the Massacre of Thessalonica, which is never a good title. No. You know it's not a birthday party no. when it's called the Massacre of Thessalonica. Or Thessalonica. I always say that wrong. So the Cambridge Ancient History gave a really good summary of it um, because... It's complex. Uh, so whoever wrote this part in the Cambridge uh, Ancient History, ready? Quote, the commander in Illyricum, which is in Thessalonica, was lynched by a mob of citizens in a dispute over the detention of a charioteer. Okay, and maybe I should real quick explain that. We don't have a societal equivalent for how huge chariot racing was. Right. Like, so if you think about baseball from the 1920s to the 1960s, that was chariot racing. Meaning what? It's the only thing. Was there an NFL? Nope. NHL? Nope. NBA? Nope. There was one thing, and it was baseball. And in this case, it was chariot racing. And there are... We could do a whole show, and I won't because it doesn't interest me that much. Just on this idea of chariot racing, that we might not have a societal equivalent to how insanely important chariot racing was, from high to low. And this chariot racer, I believe, if I remember right, was accused of a sexual crime, 
which the Romans didn't think much of, to be crass, right? They didn't think of sexual crimes as crimes. Uh, you know what I mean? They think of it like we think of speeding. You know, isn't that terrible? Yeah. But whatever it was, he got arrested by the commander in Illyricum, which is in Thessalonica. And so they lynched the commander. They wanted that guy racing again. It was that simple. Now, Theodosius decided that he needed to show a clear demonstration of his anger. And in April of 390, when all the citizens of Thessalonica had gathered at the circus in their town, the emperor's troops locked them in and were cut loose. The slaughter was unbelievable. 7,000 men, women, and children were massacred in three hours. Now, I want you to think about that. No guns, no bows, no arrows. This is sword work. 7,000 men, women, and children in three hours. Ambrose, the bishop of Milan, when he found out, withdrew in horror from the emperor's court. He denounced Theodosius and banned him from receiving communion until he repented. Nobody had ever done that before to an emperor. They told an emperor, no communion for you. Now there's, there's different artist works of these. Oh, and in fact, Alicia, I gotta remember tomorrow, she clarified something about the painter we talked about last week. It was very cool. But I'll bet you, Alicia, or any of you art people know, there's a famous portrait of uh, Ambrose in full bishop's regalia, stopping the emperor from entering church. That never happened. Uh, Ambrose wrote him and Theodosius repented, like immediately. There was no conflict here, okay? Um, the emperor sought absolution and was readmitted to communion on Christmas Day, eight months later. Wow. Okay. Can you see why people loved Ambrose and hated Ambrose? And you see why the poor love him and why the powerful hate him. This is a guy who's now gone toe to toe with every emperor and supported every emperor. But if they did wrong, he called it. Okay. Uh, now, this is where I get into this. Secular historians are slowly beginning to change their view of Ambrose because much of the understanding of Christianity and the history of Rome is changing. And why is that? Because the, there's a book by a guy named Edward Gibbon Okay, called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. And it is the holy Bible of Roman history. I don't know if there is a more exhaustive and detailed look at the decline and fall of Rome. And here's the thing. Gibbon hated Christianity. He hated Catholics. He hated Jews. And that hatred or antagonism colored so much of his work and clouded so much of his judgment. And in this case, his view of Ambrose was cynical and unfriendly. And so then historians who were secular saw it that way. Uh, Wikipedia actually had a great quote, right? Kind of breaking down this thing I just explained to you. Quote, in 1960, Neil McClinn wrote a complex study of Ambrose. This is a secular historian. 
that focused on his politics and intended to, quote, demonstrate that Ambrose viewed community as a means to acquire personal political power, end quote. But subsequent studies of how Ambrose handled his Episcopal responsibilities, his Nicene theology, and his dealing with the Arians, as well as his pastoral care, his commitment to community, and the simplicity of his life have now mitigated that view. Right, that, that guy in 1960 nailed what all secular historians thought of Ambrose. He was just using the church to get personal power because that's a very gibbon thing to think. But now, when we can look at his life, when these historians, and these are secular ones, and they go, how? Right, he lived in a, a one-room uh, box, he didn't have any power. He didn't seek any power. And any money he got, he gave away. You look at the whole of how he dealt with the Arians, for example. And again, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to arrest you. I'm not going to let you be bishop either. Right? And the fact that a lot of Arians liked him, he would argue with them. He would hear them out. Uh, as well as his ridiculous generosity and his diligence in his duties, peacekeeping for the Roman Empire. They're like, yeah, we're changing that view. Gibbon, God love his, God breast his soul, just didn't like Christianity. Gibbon's whole theory of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire is that Christianity caused it, I, uh, which is ironic if you look at the Eastern uh, Roman Empire, right? Uh, but anyway, la la. Um, if you don't mind another quote, okay, this is from uh, Boniface Ramsey has a biography of Ambrose. It's a good one. And this is what he wrote. <clears throat> quote, he preached and celebrated the Eucharist multiple times a week, sometimes daily. That wasn't normal back then. He dealt directly with the needs of the poor, directly with the needs of widows and orphans, nuns and his own clergy. He replied to letters personally. He practiced hospitality. He was constantly available to his people. As Bishop, Ambrose undertook many different labors in an effort to unite people and provide some stability during a period of religious, political, military, and social upheaval and transformation. He got along well with most people. But Ambrose was not adverse to conflict and even opposed emperors with a fearlessness born of self-confidence and clear conscience. Uh, enough. Oh, and he had no belief that he would not suffer for his decisions, which is a powerful statement, isn't it? Um, and again, secular historian, right? They're, they're looking and going, this dude was extraordinary. Gibbon's hatred of it all. It, it Maybe hatred's a strong word. I don't know. He was one of those post-Enlightenment, and some days we should do a whole thing on the myth of the Enlightenment, but don't get me started. Um, more than anyone before him, Ambrose exerted an understanding of church-state relations that even define us today. Okay? That, that for us... The church and the state, well, people, separation of church and state. Yes, it's Christians that want that, right? It's just, again, and I, I don't mean to get the, it drives me nuts. If when you say separation of church and state, you mean the church can't speak on state issues? That's dumb. I don't mean to, I, I don't mean to sound cold, but that's not a position people have thought through. It's just a snapback reaction. Um, and there's no thought behind it. 
Well, the church can't tell people how to vote. No, the church can tell people what the church teaching is when something comes up. That's a kind of our job. Otherwise, what are we? Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know. It, I'll be honest. I get so irritated because I find it stupid. Separation of church and state. Tell me what that means. What it means in our country, this line that appears nowhere in the Constitution, but in a letter Thomas Jefferson wrote, I think, to his nephew, is something we agree with as a church. Namely, we're not going to tell the state how to state, and the state isn't going to tell us how to church. But it doesn't mean we can't say, I don't know, abortion's wrong. Capital punishment's wrong. We need to treat the poor and the... um, the alien with great care and respect. Yeah? Why wouldn't we say that? And if we were on your side, you'd like it. Yeah, I always say that. Nobody says separation of church and state when they find out how much poor people we're feeding. Right? Why are we doing that? Because God said to. Well, why are you fighting abortion? Some of it you could say, I guess, because God says to, but mostly because it's common sense. It's a human at some point. And at that point, we shouldn't take its life. That's just humans make humans. Anyway, he, Ambrose, really shattered an understanding of church and state, and that understanding never recovered. And it was an understanding that everyone had, even the Jews, right, who had a religious government. This is one where we started to divert from Judaism, okay? Namely, we won't tell you how to state, you don't tell us how to church. And if the emperor says you got to close your church uh, or you got to turn it into a, like a Baptist church, well, no, you don't have any power to do that. But this was the first time people thought that. This is the first time people thought, no, a king doesn't have a right to tell the church it can't be a church. This idea was unheard of. Ambrose shattered a mold that had held things in place for a long time. Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, great. Okay. The 21st century view is, is, this is a good summary of it, right? This idea that we're moving away from Gibbon who sees him as a cynical power grabber, which tells you a lot about Gibbon. And we see this view. Ambrose was not the power behind the throne of Theodosius. The two men did not meet each other frequently. And the documents we have reveal that the relationship between them was not about personal friendship. It was about negotiations between two formidable leaders of powerful institutions. There is no evidence that Ambrose had any influence on the emperor outside of religious matters. Right. Wow. I, you remember, I was so worried we would run out of time. Yeah. You know, I maybe let me look. I have half notes because I stopped. One of the things where Ambrose historically um, gets challenged, and rightly so, um, is his uh, attitude toward the Jews. Okay. This is one where popes have apologized for Ambrose's ideas. And again, now guys, if you'll excuse me, I'm gonna read off my notes instead of what I typed, okay? Um, This was in 388, and we're back to Theodosius, okay? Theodosius I. Uh, He was informed, the emperor was, that a crowd of Christians had destroyed a synagogue on the Euphrates, 
right? Um, uh, Theodosius ordered that the offenders be punished and that the synagogue be rebuilt at the cost of the Christians, right? So the Christians in this community burn down the synagogue, so they'll be punished and they will pay for the construction of a new synagogue. Um, Ambrose wrote to the emperor and told him there were two reasons that it's wrong. One, if the bishop obeyed the order to build, if he made Christians build a non-Christian church, he's requiring them to betray their faith. Two, if the bishop refused the order, then he would be a martyr and a scandal to the emperor. Okay. Um, yeah, so that was pretty bad. I wish he wouldn't have done that. And I'll bet he wishes he hadn't done it. Um, Theodosius, then the next time Ambrose visited him, Ambrose went right after him and, and told him he had to drop the case against the Christians. So first he convinced him, no, Christians aren't rebuilding a synagogue. You can't make Christians build a non-Christian church. Okay. Uh, and that was a turning point. Um, in their relationship in that again this is where Theodosius and Ambrose started moving toward a more business relationship like clearly Theodosius lost respect for Ambrose on this and Ambrose certainly um, lost respect for Theodosius he thought it was ridiculous that he was ordering Christians to pay for the building of a non-Christian church but as, I think what the emperor was saying was very reasonable. Sure. Uh, uh, right? If, honestly, if I found out that a group of 100 of my parishioners burned down a synagogue, we'd move heaven and earth to rebuild that. Just because, what are we doing? Yeah? I'd make sure Carrie paid, it, Carrie paid for every penny. Right. Now, to be clear, uh, Ambrose quoted Philo of Alexandria a lot. And that guy was a Jew. Um, he called Philo, quote, one of the most faithful interpreters of the scriptures. Um, I don't know. You could go on and on. He's a complicated dude. Uh, but his attitude toward Jews isn't specifically what we would call anti-Semitic. Right? He defended Jews. But that was a bad move. And it was clearly rooted in a belief that Judaism should just pass away. Okay. And that Christians should support the passing away of Judaism, right? Uh, does this make sense? Okay. How are we doing? Are there any questions on Ambrose or any of this stuff? Uh, Alicia made the comment on the painting. What's that, Sis? Oh, okay. Do you mind if I read it? No. Okay, so guys, uh, Alicia is a friend of mine, and she teaches art, okay? And we were talking, okay, we were talking last week. Wait, is this from the one last week? This is, she just said this today. Okay, so last week we were talking about oh, a painting. She has another one too, hold on. Okay. Oh, no, Sorry. no. Nope, the one you're talking about is sent by Paul. Okay, well, we'll find it. Um, oh, she's talking about, okay, the painting of Ambrose, kind of how you're doing to the emperor. That painting is done by Paul Rubin and an almost identical one by Dick Van Dyke. I'm just kidding. 
It's just Van Dyke, who studied under Rubin. Van Dyke paints Theodosius without a beard, and Rubin paints him with a beard. One is in London, the other is in Vienna, where they make Kogel hot dogs. By the way, today, on Facebook, when you started the witchcraft that makes this happen, I went to look, and you know what? There was our show, mm -hmm. and then right beneath it, an ad for Kogel hot dogs. Nice. The spirits are moving. Oh, Sarah's tuning in from Celtic Cove. Thank you for visiting and mentioning us. Some of your parishioners come to visit as well. I do love that place. I just do. Yeah. And uh, and how about that? Supporting a small business, yeah. supporting a Catholic small business. Um, did yeah. you see? This is so funny. Yesterday they released this report and they ruined my day. And it was about how wages have gone up five percent across the board in our country. And I'm like, oh my gosh, praise God! And I literally was saying, praise God. And the next paragraph was, inflation is up to nine percent, so most people are experiencing a four percent loss in income. I'm like, why did you tell me the second part? Why not just leave me ignorant and happy? Okay. So you got to look at Ambrose. Maybe what I can do, how much time do I have? I don't have my glasses on. You have about five minutes. Okay, so let me real quick do this. So in terms of Augustine, if you don't know, Augustine, again, you heard me at the beginning, so I won't get into how important he is and how deeply I love him, right? But know this, top three brains in the history of the church was Augustine. And his conversion happened in chunks. Okay, from a wild alcoholic who fathered a child or two out of wedlock um, to a Christian who was a kind of Christian that was a heretic called a Montanist. And you could just go on and on. He kept circling the airport, right? How did he land the plane? Ambrose. Ambrose was the only guy, I think, alive who could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Augustine intellectually and bring him into the fold. And if you go, you can see where he baptized Augustine. I mean, think about two saints standing in that font. And I don't mean just two saints, I mean two frickin' heavyweights. You know, ugh. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I mean, just think of that. And I believe if I remember right, the first time Augustine heard him, he was drunk. Right, and, and believed what Ambrose said, but walked away because it was too hard. But clearly people knew, like you said. Like yeah. they knew. Yeah, just this Not pious... I'm sure. Yeah, just this pious, sweet, brilliant bishop, Ambrose. You know? And the same kind of thing happened to Augustine. He was made bishop by a crowd. Right, just a mob. Um, yeah. Okay, so maybe we'll wrap up for today. And I'm uh, excited about tomorrow. We've already got a couple questions, mostly about, um, well, we got some questions. So get your questions ready for tomorrow, um, and we'll get after as many as we can. I believe Uncle Lonnie will be here, and I can't tell you how happy that makes me. If you didn't get to church today, just remember hell's going to suck. 
I'm just kidding. Uh, no, don't forget, if you haven't got church day, find a mass. It's the feast of our the Immaculate Conception of Mary. And uh, wow. Uh, in fact, I think we'll talk about that because you see the first question. Yes. Right. So maybe tomorrow I'll take the first five, 10 minutes and explain Immaculate Conception of Mary and why, uh, why we believe it, why it's important, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. 630 mass tonight, St. Mark's. St. Mark is doing a 630 mass tonight over in Goodrich. And I think they got a real priest instead of me. So they got that going for him. All right. And I got to tell you guys, um, um, I should have said this at the beginning. So Tuesday, Chuck may remember, I was like, he, he and Carrie cleared my schedule. I think I had one thing, which I fell asleep and missed. That's okay. I know. Thank you. Um, I had a grocery bag. Did you see it? Of letters and mail and oh my gosh. And by the way, there's a parking ticket in there from September. I probably should have paid that by now. But from there where? were... Uh, huh? From lunch? From Flint. Oh, that Do you remember yeah. when they were like, oh, just download this app to get your parking spot, yeah, and I none was, of us could download it? I was sitting in the truck with it running. That's yeah, I know. This is the man holding us down. We got to rise up. <laughs> um, I feel so bad because I owe so many of you thank you notes, and I, I'm going to try. I, I promise. Um, please, if you haven't heard back from me, because some of these letters are three months old, some of them, and I'm so sorry. I, I've read them, um, but I keep them then so that I'll remember to write you back, and then it just ends up, um, and I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I hope you don't take me not responding as a lack of love. Like, if in there you say pray for this ask them i stop and pray right there uh, so that i don't mess that up um but i do i read them all um but i i don't know how i'm gonna do this i'm i'm very intimidated i am but um thank you thank you for your kind kind supportive words i i i i am overwhelmed by them um and I pray you know I don't take it for granted. Um, de- between dealing with Carrie's drinking, uh, yeah, it's so hard. It's called deflection. Yeah. Did, and it worked, I think. For a moment, I didn't feel horrible guilt. So, um, and including, oh, two things. First, one of you wrote me and is going into the seminary. And I'm going to keep it there. I can't, I remember reading that letter. And I can't find it. If you can send your name to, to Carrie and your address, I want to support you and love on you. And, and I am so sorry. And the other, I read another one. And I, I think it was an email. Uh, it's just, it's in my head. Yep. And I can't figure out my email, right? It's a mess right now. One of you is a seminarian and came with your parents to mass here. I think on Easter, and wrote me a ridiculous, beautiful email that I haven't forgot and can't find. So if you're listening, please send that email again. I just feel awful um, about not keeping up. So, okay, all that business is done. Again, please forgive me. Uh, Thank you so much. I I am so grateful for all your comments, all your support. um, And uh, I have nothing else to say on the topic. So I'll see you beautiful people tomorrow. And until then, salad pray. What?
Wait, what? No, Thomas Thomas Haney does offer. He said, well, I parked there because it said fine for parking. <laughs> nice. It's like the one time I says, you know, I saw this sign that said watch for fire trucks. I was there for three hours before I saw one. <laughs> I don't know. All right, salad pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus, thank you for St. Ambrose. And Lord, I think it's a good opportunity for us to reflect on our legacy. That while we who love you look at Ambrose with great love, those who don't have really done him a disservice in the past. And, and here's the great thing, Lord, you always knew the truth. Isn't that something? May we only hunger for your approval, Lord. May we crave your approval and know we have it. And not worry about being misinterpreted in unreasonable ways. And you know, Lord, even how's this? Before we go to accuse someone, help us to look at our heart and see if our accusation proceeds from our heart or from reality. Jesus, this church has been through the ringer, and we've done it to ourselves as much as anything else. But what we ask for is the grace to live these days well, to live them with great love, with great joy, with kindness and meekness and gentleness and with mercy. Always remembering your words to us that the measure with which we measure others gets measured back to us. Father, you know the people we, we love so much and worry about, and, and you know all the circumstances that we fret about. Well, we give all of them to you, Lord, because we love you and we trust you. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Kung Fu is strong. I'll see you beautiful people tomorrow when we do question and answer. And until then, Pacham. Is it over? No, it's never over.